Friends, uh, I want to introduce to you Soren Howard. Soren is going to be sharing uh, the word today, reading the scriptures today. He is a senior and uh, a part of our youth ministry. And I was told just, but I didn't tell you I was going to say this part. So this is fun for me. But, but I was told that Pastor Sam asked you to read on Wednesday night, and it didn't work out, but you were willing to read today for me. <laughs> I put him on the spot just then. Nothing against Sam. A little bit. No, 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 no. Never. Never. All right. Well, we are in uh, Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. We're going to put it up. We're going to put the slides up. And uh, Soren's going to read the Word of God for us. So would you stand with us as we read the Word together? In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and turn their hearts of their fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold... You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service has ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to the man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and she will call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son in the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray, friends. Jesus, we do love you and we thank you. We praise you for your word and that you are indeed good. And so, Lord, as we come into this holy season, uh, we remember the work that you have done. We're thankful and we celebrate what you're going to do. So be exalted here today, O Lord. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And even as we jump into the word, we ask that you would help us to see life and how this life applies to us and how you want to use your life in our lives. It's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I put Soren on the spot, and that, that wasn't fair, but that's okay. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, Wednesday, he received that request from uh, uh, Pastor Sam, and just kind of in, in the moment and in, in the movement of, of the Lord, and uh, Soren was a little bit nervous, and so stepped away, didn't feel like he had time. Separate, didn't know that that happened. I sent him an email on Thursday just saying, hey, would you be willing to uh, read the scriptures today? And he was like, well, maybe God's doing something in my heart. So kudos to Soren. I'm just very thankful for that young man and what God has been doing and is doing in his life. And so we celebrate that together. Tuesday. You guys remember last Tuesday? (laughs) There was like eight inches of snow. Uh, I, I have a friend. He's a weatherman. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, it must be great uh, to only have to get things right 50% of the time, you know, because they, they didn't know it was going to snow. And uh, he said, yeah, it must be great to only work one day a week. So, uh, touche, touche. But I was, I was so tickled by, uh, by the issue of weather, you know. Uh, we got eight inches. It was a lot. We canceled some things here at the church. Things were canceled throughout the community. And it was like, we live in Minnesota. Uh, it's going to snow here, right? We, we know that that's something we can expect. But the weather didn't forecast it. It didn't seem like that was going to happen. And so it was unexpected. This series that we're beginning It's called The Unexpected Expected. It's about our Lord Jesus. How, yeah, there was an expectation that the Savior was going to come, but it was unexpected the way he arrives. And this whole whole coming of God in the flesh, of being in our presence, is, uh, is a challenge. It's a challenge for those in Jesus' day, in the first century. And I would suggest it's still a challenge for us today. And so we've, we're asking the Lord to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand that he would allow us and help us to see him and his word and to rightly apply it to our lives 
And uh, so that's why we're jumping into this series even now. We want to see the Lord uniquely and specifically. We want to get to know him better and to walk with him in this place and in this season of life. Church, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this season? Yeah, let's walk together in it. Uh, If you're not there, Luke chapter 1, we're going to be referring to it. We're going to be in several places throughout our time together. But I, I want you to know something, that right from the very beginning of the scriptures, there is this dichotomy, this juxtaposition that occurs of life and death. Remember that it's God himself that tells Adam, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That there is implied by God's own words, a choice of life and a choice of death. When Adam makes the decisions that he made, when Eve makes the decisions she made, she chooses to go from life to death. He chooses to go from life to death, two separate kingdoms. That dichotomy plays throughout the scriptures, but also in church history. Early on in the church, something began to happen, and that is the people outside of the nation of Israel began to ask Jesus into their life as their Savior. That it wasn't just about this Israelite king, or God rather, but it's a God who loves everybody. It's not just for Israel, but for everybody, and that Israel is this light that points people to God. And people outside of Israel begin to call on the name of the Lord. And there is a challenge because these people who are coming to the Lord, they don't have the same background as uh, the Messianic believers did. They didn't have the rules and regulations. They didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have the upbringing. And so what do we do? Well, early on, uh, the church began to disciple these new believers. And right from the very beginning, they started with this statement, there are two ways, one of life and one of death. It's in the Didache. It's a, uh, something that, uh, it was a writing by the apostles that came out at the end of the first century, or at least that's when it was written down, uh, towards the end of the first century. Uh, but it begins with this statement, there are two ways, one of life and one of death. The dichotomy is in front of us, and we see it throughout the Scripture. We see this tension constantly, and we see it in this passage for sure. I want to encourage you that as we dig into the Scripture, recognize that there is depth. We can look at it on the surface, and there's nothing wrong with that. We should. But there is also depth. And in this depth, we're going to better understand who God is and how God is drawing us from death to life. And so uh, uh, let, me, let me just start with introducing who's who. Uh, Luke, who is the author, no one questions that. He gives eyewitness accounts. Sometimes he uses pronouns throughout, um, uh, throughout Luke and also in Acts, and it's we, recognizing that he is there with somebody. We know that uh, he's there with Paul. He's walked through the, the church with Paul. He's writing at a later period, probably after Paul has already passed away. And uh, I, I, just, I just love how this begins. Uh, let me read it to you. Just before verse 5, starting in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, 
just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And that's what we're going to jump into, the certainty of the things that you've been taught, the life that has been extended to those who follow the Lord. If you would be willing again to uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 as we begin to refer to things off and on. If we're going to talk about who's who, we're talking first about the author. His name is Luke. Luke is a physician, a well-educated man, uses uh, the Greek language uh, both in some depth that would have recognized him as educated, but also in some terms that aren't just Greek, but also Hebrew. So he has a good understanding of the Hebrew culture as well. Luke writes this to Theophilus. Theophilus means friend of God. There's some debate on if that's an individual or if that's a group of people, friends of God, people of God. So today... I would refer to you as excellent Theopolis and receive now the word as we, look, uh, as we look into this passage. Let's look at this juxtaposition. Let's consider it from a few different perspectives. And we're going to look at the people and the angel that's introduced in this passage as we try to better understand it and maybe get our, our arms around it a little better. So let's start with first. In the days of Herod is how it begins. It's an interesting phrase. It's a wonder that he begins with that. Why doesn't he just go right into the story of Zechariah and the angel? Uh, Why does he begin in the days of Herod? Well, he's past the days of Herod, so he's certainly referring to Herod as a historical figure. He wants people to know uh, about the Herod of the past, Herod the Great. Uh, Herod the Great, who was the king of Israel during this Uh, This time when Jesus is born, he certainly wants that. But he also is beginning this juxtaposition, this pull. And in this pull, he's identifying Herod. Herod's name means heroic. And to a certain degree, he was. He he added on to the temple, made it one of the the, uh, great vestiges of the ancient world. Some even would say that it was uh, one of the wonders of the world. Beautiful beautiful temple. But he also did a lot for uh, the Roman Empire. He is a puppet king in Israel for Rome, and the people of Israel weren't big fans of Herod, partly because of his lineage. Uh, His father and mother are the ones who convert. They're Edomites, and so um, they are outsiders. And it is not anyone's favorite that Herod is the king. Herod represents a lot of things, and you're going to see that throughout our time in Luke. Uh, rep, uh, Herod, rather, was an oppressor in uh, a variety of ways. We can get into some historical accounts at another time, but we certainly know that when the king of Israel appears by the wise men, what happens? Herod gets nervous, and he feels like his kingdom is at risk, and what does he do? All of the children, right, in Bethlehem, two and under, are going to be murdered. Herod represents a kingdom of death. 
and he has no problem oppressing people to get his way. This is introduced, this passage is introduced with this king. By the way, it's also important that as this is being spoken, so uh, in just a moment we'll talk about Gabriel, the angel. As the angel goes to Herod, there is an older teen, 18, 19, perhaps even as old as 20, named Herod Antipas, or commonly referred to as Herod the Tetrarch. He's going to take power of a fourth of the the kingdom, uh, or oversee a fourth of the kingdom of uh, Herod's when Herod dies. He's also the one who beheads John, who we're going to talk about. He's also uh, the one who interviews Jesus. This kingdom of Herod is a kingdom of death. It self-perpetuates his way, and it is not about the kingdom of life or God. And that's juxtaposed to this guy, or this angel rather, Gabriel. Gabriel the angel shows up. Now we've uh, heard of Abriel from, or Gabriel from Daniel, and uh, uh, he is someone who is in the presence of God, sees God, and is a messenger to people. That's what angel means, messenger. And so Gabriel is a messenger, and he brings glad tidings, tidings of God. By the way, as I mentioned earlier, Herod's name means heroic. By extension, Gabriel's name means my God, the hero. So look at, look at uh, uh, Herod, who points to himself, Look at my acts. Look at my feats. And then there's Gabriel. Look at my God. Look at my God. You you see the difference immediately. You start to feel it. You start to understand it. And then this Gabriel, this one who's in the presence of God, he shows up in the temple. And he meets this guy, Zechariah. Zechariah is one of the priests. And on this particular day, he gets a lot to go... uh, inside and to worship, to um, present to the Lord. And, and one of the things that he gets to do in that holy place is, is uh, burn incense. And it's in that place that he meets Gabriel. Well, immediately when you started to read about a couple who couldn't have children, this couple who couldn't have children uh, on their own, God uniquely and specifically Uh, meets them, your brain might have started to go to a couple in the Old Testament named Abraham and Sarah, and it should have. That seems to be a part of what Luke is trying the readers or hearers of the word to know. He's trying to tell them something. Something about uh, Abraham and Sarah. There's a message here. Well, again, as we look at uh, Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth, let's, let's take a common approach. One of the common approaches is to do what we've already started to do, and that is to look at the meaning of names. Meaning of names meant something in the ancient world, and those names spoke to the context that they lived in and the narrative that is being communicated. This is one of those times. Uh, Zechariah, who means remember of God, remembered of God, In other words, that God remembers there's been 400 years where God hasn't spoken to the nation of Israel. 
400 years where there hasn't been the, 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 the message of God spoken to Israel. And now an angel shows up. God remembers. And what does the angel tell him? You've, you've been remembered. Your prayers are heard. You're remembered, Zechariah. And remember, remember another couple who couldn't have children. Another couple who didn't have children uh, uh, who called on the Lord. And this person who is remembered of God hears that. We're going to get into some more details about Zechariah in just a little bit, but uh, let's go ahead and move on to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, uh, she's older. She feels the pressure, the social pressure of not having children. It was commonly thought that if you didn't have children, that God is withholding a blessing from you could be because of sin. There is a reproach on you. But Luke is very careful to say, no, this is a righteous couple. This is a couple who served the Lord, who loved the Lord. Uh, uh, this couple is good. So, so he clarifies that about Elizabeth. But God does something. And again, if we're going to look at names, her, her name means oath of God. So that, that God remembers and that there is an oath. Did God ever make an oath? Is there ever anything connected to Abraham and Sarah regarding an oath? Well, actually there is. A very significant one. One that is overlooked often in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, you might remember that God calls Abraham and he says to Abraham, get some animals and sacrifice them to me. Cut them in half, which is very specific and odd. Cut them in half. Why would he do that? Well, again, it's a common practice that kings, when they conquered another king, they would make this covenant. It was called a blood path. And they'd take these animals and they'd cut them in half and they'd let the blood just, just kind of flow into this valley. And then the conquering king would set up some terms. And he might set up some terms like this. He'd say, uh, I will allow you to remain king of this city or ruler of this area as long as you are servant of mine and... You send taxes to me. Additionally, you should send your young men to war with me. And if you do that, I will protect you and allow you to remain king of this area. And the conquered king would say, that sounds good to me. That's better than death. So let's do that. And then they would walk through this blood path. The symbolism is significant. And the symbolism is this. If I break this covenant, May it be done to me as has been done to these animals. Well, if you remember the account in Genesis 15, Abraham never walks through that. Abraham never walks through that blood path. But God does twice. Once for himself and once for Abraham. And he walks through it. So think about the symbolism that God is giving in Genesis chapter 15. May it be done to me as has been done to these animals if I break this covenant or... If you break this covenant, it's pretty significant. And Luke, already in chapter 1, he's taking our minds to that place that God remembers he hasn't forgotten you, that this God who made this oath, this covenant, he is going to fulfill it. This is a part of that. God has heard you, Zechariah. God has heard you, Elizabeth. And there's going to be a son. And his name is John. 
John will be the child, and he is a reminder that God is gracious, that God is gracious, implied by his very name, that God is gracious, that God is going to do the miraculous thing here. On the one hand, there's this couple who can't have children. God is going to minister to them. God is going to minister to them by taking away their reproach. How is he going to do that? By giving them a child. This child is going to be great in the sight of God, uh, the angel tells Zechariah. This child is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah who is to come. Why? Because God is gracious. He's a gracious giver. He's gracious to this couple. He's gracious to this nation. He's gracious to the world. And don't miss the message. Because there is life and there is death. There are two ways. And today we get the opportunity to choose. Which one will it be? In this moment, life is being presented to the entire nation through Zechariah and through Elizabeth as a reminder of what God has done in the past and how he is delivering even now. And Luke lets us know. But there is more to the story. That is just one couple. Uh, We took time to look at uh, the meaning of the names. But let's, let's take a little different approach with this couple. Let's look at their names and say, okay, Have we ever heard these names before? Do these names play in anywhere else in the scriptures? It's sometimes referred to uh, the principle of first mention. Uh, uh, That's used often in scripture. Again, recognizing that there is depth to scripture. There, There is, we can look at the surface, but we can also dig in deep. And I want to say that scripture is much deeper than any of us can dive. But here is another connection. I want you to see it. It's found in the next name, and that's Joseph. And Joseph is mentioned in this passage. Uh, It's it's very interesting uh, that Joseph is the name of Jesus' earthly father. Do we know anybody else named Joseph? Has his name ever come up before? Well, of course it has. Uh, We think of uh, one of the, the sons of Israel, right? We think of a favorite son. A favorite son who was taken to Egypt, who was sold by his own brothers into slavery. This son who is sold into slavery and is under the authority of Egypt is actually the very person who saves Egypt. Pretty pretty amazing story, this Joseph, who takes the children of Israel from death to life. They would have starved without Joseph being where Joseph was. And this story that Luke is telling us is trying to get our attention and draw us to something. And one of the things he's trying to draw us to is this Joseph. What did Joseph do? Joseph was sold into slavery. And this Joseph that was sold into slavery, God ended up using for his own good. And what did God do? That God used for his own good, God rescued Egypt and the nation of Israel because of this man, Joseph. What else do we know? By the way, you can read Joseph's story in Genesis 37 through 50 uh, if, if you want to do that supplementally. How about the next name? Mary. We know that name? Mary. Is it mentioned anywhere else? Well, not as Mary. 
but the Hebrew version we certainly have, Miriam. Miriam is the brother, or the brother, is the, <laughs> is the sister of Moses. You might remember her as the one who rescued baby Moses, sent him down the river, followed the basket all the way to Pharaoh's house. She saved her brother. She was willing uh, to follow her brother. And then, and then later, she follows her brother out of Egypt and into the promised land. So we have Joseph who saved the people of Egypt and this Mary who represents, who followed Moses, who rescued Moses, who then saved uh, the children of Israel from the ruler of Egypt. And we see this story start to unfold just even in the names of the people that are given. Luke wants us to know a story, a narrative, a fact. And that fact is juxtaposed with life and death. And there is death in this world, and Herod and his family, they represent that. And there is life found in God, and there is a juxtaposition there. And that brings us to Jesus, whose very name means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. God is the saver. If you want to look back to this oath that was taken by God, this covenant that was taken by God in Genesis 15, that God was saying, may it be done unto me as it has been done to these animals. If I or if you break this covenant, God saves, and God's going to show up. He's going to fulfill that covenant by giving his life. It is going to happen to him, as has been done to these animals. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Not just that, but you, you see those who are going to die uh, because of a famine in the Old Testament. You see those who are, who are going to die as slaves in Egypt. And Jesus is the ultimate rescuer, the fulfillment of that by being God in the flesh. Luke wants us to know some things. And in understanding these things, we can start to see how God is at work even in our own lives. Let's do a little bit of compare and contrast, if we would. Let's consider the messages. Well, when we're looking at the messages, both of Zechariah and of Mary, we have to recognize some things. First of all, both are visited by the angel Gabriel, right? Like That happens. Luke chapter 1, verse 19, and in verse 26 and 27, both are promised a miraculous birth of a son for Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're too old. They shouldn't be having children. It is going to take a miracle. On the other hand, there's this woman. She's too young. She's not married. I'm like, I don't know a lot of things, but that's one I do understand, and uh, you, it's not one-sided. <laughs> How's this going to work? Both are equally unfit to have children. Zachariah's wife is barren. Mary is a virgin. Both respond with equal perplexity. How's that going to work? But there's some differences. There's some differences in response. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at uh, verse 13. In 
uh, verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And then if you skip down to verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Well, Zechariah, can I, can I just make an observation? There is an angel in the temple standing right next to the incense. That maybe should be the sign. He's, he's speaking something that he shouldn't have information about. You've never met this angel before, and he's telling you something. Maybe, maybe that's a sign. But he's saying, how, how shall I know this? And Gabriel's response, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I'm Gabriel. Like, what do you need? Now, there's, there's this challenge, right, Be because with his words, he doesn't trust the Lord, then he's muted. And until all these things happen, you watch. You can just kind of sit and think on these things. <laughs> and that's what happens. But Mary, consider her. Go ahead and skip down to verse 28. Verse 28. And he, the angel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. She has a question, too. How's this going to work? It's similar, it's similar to Zechariah, don't you think? How's this going to work? Go ahead and skip down uh, to uh, verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, if you skip down to verse 35 through 37... We get to know a little bit more about her intention. For Zechariah, it's like, you need to do more than just show up in the temple. I need some signs. <laughs> what else do you got? Uh, for Mary, she's just going, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I can't comprehend it. But then she goes on uh, in verse 35 through 37 and says, Let's see, after the response of the angel, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who, who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Look at her step of faith. Let it be according to your word. I don't understand it. I guess I don't have to totally. Thank you. Thanks for trying. <laughs> May it be done according to your word. And there is this juxtaposition. A little bit different outcomes. I mean, what the angel said came true in both cases, but the, the, 
the, the consequence of Zechariah is, is a little bit tough in that he is now muted. He can't say anything. But later on in the story, we, found, we find out that this is a part of the way that God uses in Zechariah to help him to prophesy the very word of God a little bit later. And what am I saying? I'm saying that God used the silence, even in his unfaith, even in those moments where he's challenging God. God uses that because all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And God's word is fulfilled. Life happens. Similarly with Mary. Uh, but she just starts with, may it be done according to your word. I am here. I am your servant. I am ready for this outcome. Friends, there are two ways. One of life and one of death. Herod and the kingdom of the world represents death. God, who fulfills his promises, who remembers, who knows, who follows up, who follows through, he delivers life. And so here we are. Life or death? What's it going to be? Well, how does that work? If we're born in a world that really embraces this Herod, this death, that we see it all around us, our bodies even remind us regularly, you're getting older, things don't work like they used to, they're, they're different, you're not going to live forever. Our bodies remind us of that. The seasons remind us of that. So what do we do with it? Because it's also true spiritually. We're dead. We're dead in sin. Well, there is life. And that life comes through the very work of Jesus, the one that we're celebrating uh, every week, but, we, but the world highlights during this season uniquely. This God who came in the flesh, who fulfilled what he said he would do, who was willing to go to the cross and put my sins on that cross and your sins on that cross, that all who call on his name would be saved. And so for us to, end, to go from death to life is a response for us to call on the Lord. And so we have to ask, have we called on the Lord. There are two ways, and you get to choose. You're in this crossroads, and the work of God is right there. You can join him or not join him. You can follow him or not follow him, and, and it's your call. What are you going to do? Well, you call on the name of the Lord, because all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a gift, and we have to receive that gift. We get to receive that gift, and this is a season where we remember that. As the worship team begins to come out, I want to go through a few questions with us as we prepare our hearts for communion. And with these questions, I, I, I want us to take them personal. I, I want us to consider them deeply. To which messenger are you listening? Well, we, we had Herod and Gabriel. There's this kingdom of the world. Herod, he's, he's the king. He's the hero of that world. He is the one who... Uh, does great things, and we, we're going to serve him. Or there's Gabriel, who points to God, and God is the hero. And we get to join God at work with him and experience life. So, to which messenger are you listening? The messenger who delivers the message of the world? Or the messenger who delivers the message of God? The scriptures. How about, how are you responding to God's favor? 
We didn't get into this as deeply uh, earlier, but let me, let me touch on it. God says to Zechariah, I have heard your prayers. To Mary, you are highly favored. But do you recognize what, what happens to both of those sons? They are so much pressure with the world that both of them end up giving their lives. Herod tries immediately to snuff out Jesus. He wants to kill him immediately. It doesn't work out. But eventually, Jesus goes to the cross. The world. John, uh, he serves the Lord from, right from the very beginning, is filled with the Spirit. An answer to prayer. And yet, Herod the Tetrarch takes his head. There is conflict there. Life or death. Life or death. This world wants to extend death, but God has a way of extending life. And it doesn't always look the way that we think it should. And it's not always going to be easy, but it is always good, and it is always life-giving. Three, how does God want to lead you to life? That's the question that I want to encourage you to just sort of wrestle with as we prepare for communion. How does God want to lead you to life? What is it during this season that God is calling you to? Perhaps it's a repentance of sin. There's something that is going on in your life that, nope, that is not right and it is not okay and it is dragging me into the world in such a way that I'm, I'm getting death from it. I need life. I need this Jesus. Or maybe it's a next step of faith. You've been dragging your feet on something and the next step perhaps is baptism or the next step might be salvation to just receive Jesus. Get off of the fence and follow him. Maybe that's the next step. Maybe the next step is, is uh, being consistent in the word, memorizing God's word. What is that next step for you? Consider that as we prepare our hearts for communion. The Lord reminded us uh, as we come together to remember his body and his blood that was given for us. That blood path that he fulfilled, a promise that he delivered ultimately for our salvation. As you prepare your hearts for communion, I want to remind you that communion is for the follower of Jesus. And we are called to pause before the Lord and ask the Lord to examine our heart. And if there's sin, to confess it, repent, and follow him. Take both the bread and the cup and uh, return to your seat, coming down the carpeted area and then going back on the outside uh, aisle to your seat. And then after this next worship song, we'll participate together. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we do love you and we praise you. We thank you that you are indeed good all the time. We thank you that even today we see the difference in life and death. We want to choose life. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes we want our own way. But despite all of those things, Lord, you deliver life. You call us to life. And sometimes that's even it's against the world. And the world doesn't understand and gets mad and maybe even persecutes. But Lord, we, we receive that even as you were willing to receive that as you went to the cross. 
Lord, as we remember you together, I would ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, to confess sin, to repent, to follow you, and to love you with all we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.